Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Breakfast with Boz Detours. I'm your host, Ian Boswell. It is 5.15 in the morning here at my home in Peachum, Vermont. I am setting off on a 210-mile loop around the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. Why am I doing this? I'm starting to question myself now. It sounded great a few days ago. In this week's episode, we are talking with riders from the Dirty Kanza. We're going to be speaking to the winner of the 2019 edition, Amity Rockwell and Colin Strickland. And before I spoke with these athletes this week, I wanted to go out on a bike for myself and see what it was like to do 200 miles. I do not believe I've ever done a 200 mile training ride. I know this because I mapped out this loop and then I started to consider how long this would take. Doing some quick math with average speed, I realized that I'm gonna be out there for at least 10 hours if I'm lucky with stops. And I'm assuming I'm not gonna be averaging 20 miles an hour. I think it could be up into the 12, 13 or 14 hour mark with stops, refueling, maybe getting lost. I do have a loop, but a lot of these roads that I have ridden, I have never been on. So I'm not sure if they all connect. I'm not sure if they all exist. I've got some coffee, I've got some oatmeal, and to be honest, I'm actually pretty nervous. I've done big races like the Tour de France, but I am nervous for a 200 mile training ride. I think I'm just nervous because there's so much that I don't really know about it. I think the longest race I've ever done, maybe there was a stage in the Vuelta one year that took seven plus hours, but you start to look at the difference between seven hours and 12 hours, and that's pretty much an entire five hour ride, which I have not been doing a ton of recently. So I'm gonna bring you along my ride today. I'm not taking my recorder, I will have my phone. I have plotted out a few Maple Creamy stops up in Newport, one back in St. Johnsbury when I get close to home. My wife is awake with me for some peculiar reason. I told her that I would see her in 13 or 14 hours when I woke up this morning. She said, oh, maybe I'll see you sooner than that. So I'm not sure if she's confident in my abilities, but got some oatmeal, coffee, bottles are filled. Bars are packed, tires are pumped, and I'm about to hit the road. I'll catch you all out there. Well, I am halfway through my tour of the NEK DIY DK. I'm up in Canaan, Vermont, in the far northeast corner of the state. I can see Quebec up in Canada from here. And if I look over the Connecticut River, I can see New Hampshire. I have uh, just stopped in the town green. There's actually a little parade going on, so I'm letting some horse passes before I find my way to a general store and try to restock. I'm almost out of my SIS nutrition products, so time to uh, restock for something more. Need some water, maybe something with some electrolytes as well. Just put on another layer of sunscreen. Been out here for, well, let me actually look at my uh, roam and see where we're at. I'm ahead of schedule. I'm at 100.7 miles in four hours and 52 minutes. Been flying right along. Average watts, 278, which seems to be pretty high. I'm a little bit worried going forward, thinking that I might not be able to sustain that pace going back down south. I'm also a little bit worried that there's a headwind. When I looked at the route this morning, I realized that most of the climbing is in the first half. I think this, well, I take that back. I'm looking here, I have done 7,700 feet of climbing, so I must have another 7,000 left to go. Um, have a long flat stretch and then some hills once I get back towards my home in Peachum. I'm gonna leave it there for now and hopefully check in with all of you 
when I get to St. Johnsbury for maple creamy later, I was hoping to get a creamy up in Newport, but I realized leaving at 6 a.m., creamy places are not open at 9 a.m., so I'm just gonna have to wait a little bit longer. Alrighty, 20 miles to go. I've done 180 miles, just over nine hours. Felt pretty good until about mile 160. Had a 10 or 15 mile little stretch there where I was not feeling good. I just had just stopped and met my wife for a maple creamy in St. Johnsbury, 20 miles from home. So the last five, five, 10 miles coming into St. J, I felt better knowing that I had a creamy on the way and a kiss from my wife. But that said, I probably stopped a bit too long and hung and to hang out. Kind of felt like it's, you know, on a long road trip. When you get to that point where you're like an hour away from home, you kind of just want to get it done. But I am happy that I stopped and got an extra large maple creamy. Yeah, into the last the last 20 miles. I am pretty sore. Getting up off the grass after eating that ice cream. I was moving like an old man. So, tip to anyone out there at Dirty Kanza as a never-before participant of the event. Don't stop for too long. Uh, yeah, it's hard to get going again. So I will finish this up when I get back home in hopefully around an hour. Well, I just got home. The last 20 miles took me a little bit longer than I had anticipated. Gretchen is cracking me open a beer. I feel more comfortable on the bike than I do now that I'm off the bike, walking up our stairs. Um, some, oh, thank you, Gretch. Some stats from the ride today. So I did 202 miles, took me 10 hours and 33 minutes. I had 14,000 feet of climbing. What else, what else we wanna know about? Average power of 254, which is actually surprisingly higher than I thought. I was aiming for 20 miles an hour. I know that's what Colin Strickland did last year at DK. I feel like DK has a little bit less climbing, but probably has definitely more technical and rough surfaces. So all the more impressive to Colin Strickland. And with that, if you didn't know what we're talking about today in Breakfast with Boz, I'll let you know now we are talking about the big one, Dirty Kanza. Today on Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. Alongside 2019 Dirty Kansas 200 winners, Amity Rockwell and Colin Strickland, I've also decided to add my good friend Marshall Opal to this episode. Marshall competed in his first Dirty Kansas last year in 2019. I wanted to call up Marshall and get his perspective because I felt that his approach and also his experience at Dirty Kansas was very different than Amity and Colin. Marshall did not win the race, he did have a great time, and he had a lot of great things to say. So our first guest on today's episode, talking about Dirty Kanza, is my good friend, the best man at my wedding, the man in the van, Marshall Opal. Marshall, thanks for coming on. Well, it's good to be here chatting with you. Well, we are talking about Dirty Kanza. You were out of my house for my wedding last year, a couple of weeks prior to DK, and you probably did not do the riding or the prep that you needed or that other people were doing. But you still got out to Emporia and did your first ever Dirty Kansas. Tell me about it. 
Yeah, you know, I had heard about Dirty Kanza being this sort of, it was almost like a mythical event to go out and go ride Kanza. Was um, everyone, there was so much stir and buzz about it um, leading into it. So I was definitely just excited. Um, and I drove out, I, um, I drove out from Denver and I remember crossing into Kansas and um, I was driving out with a buddy and you start seeing other cars with bikes um, the closer you got to Emporia, you started seeing more cars with bikes. And I just remember people honking and waving. And there was this collective knowing that like we were going into this crazy experience. Um, and everyone was just, you know, you there was just there was already before hours before we got into Emporia, you would just seeing this trickling in of cyclists coming from all over the place to go do this crazy day out in the Flint Hills together. Um, and I just, that was my first, that's when I was like, all right, this, there's something special about this event compared to all the other gravel events. Um, there really, there's something in the air, um, that day before in Emporia. So I was definitely, I was very excited going into it. Well, saying that kind of like, I just had a flashback to being like a junior racer in Oregon and like driving to a race somewhere in the Willamette Valley. And like, you see all these cars, you know, passing you with bikes on the roof and you get like, you know, when I was 13, 14, you get so excited. You're like, oh, who's that? Like, is that someone new? I don't right. know. Someone coming to the race. And it's like this like slow build, like a crescendo to the event. And it sounds like you experienced that almost once again at DK. I think that a difference though, um, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about, you know, you're going up to a a traditional road race and you see, you know, someone else that's definitely, and you might be looking at their bike, looking at, you know, who's this guy or are they going to be fast? And I think a difference with DK, maybe it's because there are thousands and thousands of riders, but your competition, unless you're, I know you spoke with Colin Strickland, like unless you're Colin or someone like that, your competition isn't actually the other riders. And it's also probably, it's not the course itself. Like it's a mental battle. And everyone sort of knows that. So there's almost like you can be more relaxed with like, look, if I beat this guy or that guy, who, who knows, who cares? You're once you're out there, um, it's, it's a battle with your mind, uh, to get through this 200 mile odyssey. So I think that sort of, it took the pressure off on um, this idea of, of another rider was just also going through something incredibly challenging. Um, and there was something unifying about that. Yeah, well, and that's why I wanted to speak to you because, you know, obviously with, with Amity and Colin, you know, they both won the event last year. They're, you know, the two people out of 3,500 that actually won the event, but that leaves, you know, 3,498 people who are just riding. Um, obviously, those right. are age categories, but, you know, you were you were more in the middle of the pack, I guess in the front middle of the pack, you know, you had a very different Kansas experience than those two, but probably something more similar to what everyone else had. You know, you stopped at feed zones. You told me at one point you stopped through an aid station, rode for like a little bit, then turned around, came back and took a nap in a van. I mean, how, <laughs> I mean is that, is that a common, a common occurrence at DK? Yeah, I think that Every year it's different, it sounds like, um, whether it's rained and then, you know, you've got the peanut butter mud or um, last year, the main um, factor for everyone collectively was not only the distance, but the heat. Um, so I remember in the morning, you know, some people might have had like a little vest on or something, but you're starting, I think the starts at 6 a.m. And, you know, I, I started in just shorts and, and bit or bibs in a jersey and, um, 
you just knew all the all you knew within an hour like it's gonna be warm you already that first kind of bead of sweat and it's not even 7 a.m and you're like oh man like that's where you're just nervous for what's to come. And I actually had a really cool, the start of Dirty Kansas, when everyone, this whole town of Emporia is just, the whole main street is lined with cyclists that morning. And there's just so much anticipation in the air. Everyone is just kind of grinning with just like a gleeful excitement for this crazy thing we're all about to embark on. And I remember the start was just was so cool. We rolled out of town and and I happened to I showed up pretty late close to the start, but I I came in accidentally um to the front. So I just like it was kind of I moved there <laughs> reminded those guys, me of huh? the old days where you're like <laughs> yeah, you're like walking your bike in just past Taylor Finney and those those top guys, you know, I was like in the third row, which is pretty sweet. But I actually, you know, I I came in with with some confidence. I had done I at that point in the season, I was pretty fit. And I was like, all right, what could I do out here? And the first, a lot of people talked about the first 20 miles or so was fast and a big group, but I had made this first selection. I was pretty excited about trying to just have the best ride I was capable of having. And um, I had a, a big sidewall puncture about 25, 30 miles in. And I actually was missing some important gear from my, it's kind of embarrassing. I was missing some important gear from my, I didn't have a six mil um, to take my wheel off um, oh, no. in changing the flat. And I just stood there. I was like, what am I going to do? Because I was at the bottom. I was at a, a descent and everyone was just flying by me. Hundreds of riders flying by me. And it was cool. I I had to mentally there. I just I knew that the day had shifted, fundamentally shifted for me. And instead of trying to have a result, I was out there to have an experience and my buddy, Joey, um, I happened to see flash by and I yelled at him, Joey, and he pulled off and he, um, I think he was also glad to, to take a little break, you know, 25 miles in, you're just, it was good. It was good timing, honestly, to like, wait, we need to, we need to eat something. We need to drink and we need to kind of catch ourselves back up. And, um, I just remember this, this shift in my head, you know, I, I patched my tire, like got rolling again. And I was like, okay, I've got 170 some miles to go. And, um, it was a cool unplanned sort of, I think that everyone had something like that happen to them that day where then, but then I was able to, to meet people, chat with people, look around and, and really soak in what is the DK experience. And, um, yeah, that involved a nap at, a, at an aid station. It involved just dozens of conversations uh, with people that I'll never talk to again. But we were able to connect at a level that was, you know, unique to to being out in the in the scorching sun of of the Kansas prairie. Um, you just you're everyone out there is um, is connected in that way, and uh, there's just something special about it. So going back for let's say, I mean, let's say. DK did happen this past weekend. Would you, I mean, I assume you would have been back there. What have you done anything differently? Would have you showed up at the start line with a different perspective, more of like, listen, I'm not going to try and hang on to that front group, but maybe in the end you'll finish faster. What have you done more training before? Like what would have, what would have you changed about your kind of preparation and mindset running into it from, you know, being a first timer to now going back with a little bit of experience? Well, I definitely would have had my multi-tool. <laughs> Another thing that I didn't have that was actually kind of fun, I didn't have a GPS unit and there are no signs out there. 
And there was a there was a time in the ride last year where there was no one in front of me and no one that I could see behind me. And I was literally looking in the in the dirt for the tire tracks of when, you know, because there were a few hundred people in front yeah. of me. So that was kind of fun, honestly, to to navigate that way. But I would probably bring a computer. Although, you know, at the same time, like I didn't know how far I had. I was just riding until I got back to Emporia. There was something there was something nice about that. But oh yeah, things I would do differently. Not much, honestly. I I had good fitness, but I I guess in retrospect, I would have blown up somewhere along the way last year and it would have maybe been a bad, you know, I I still had to contend with the heat and the distance and it was probably honestly the best thing that could have happened for me to to flat early and then just survive because yeah we started when the sun was just coming up and I finished right as the sun was setting and it was a magical day and I yeah I, I could have maybe improved a few hundred placings but I who cares you know that's that's just not a it's not something that matters with DK. I think finishing is is the goal, and and that happened. And so, yeah, I, I think I also told myself I've done that once, and and do I need to to ride that far again? Like, mm, <laughs> it's a long way to. It took me two weeks to feel normal again on my bike after that effort. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, and I I haven't told you this yet, but I did my own DK up here yesterday, so I did a two hundred and two mile loop. Um, no, yeah, just by yesterday? myself. Um, <laughs> but, so you know. uh, yeah, well, it's, it's just a long, it's just a long ways. Like when I, you know, I was yeah. talking to Colin about how long, you know, to map out a loop, like, oh, wow, I'm gonna have to go way up here. And then like, that's only a hundred miles. Then I have to like somehow find my way to get back. But it's, you know, it's just a, it's a whole day, you know, I guess in an event, in a race, it's something, you know, very unique and special because you've, you know, prepared for it and you're out there with other people doing it by yourself. I felt very selfish, you know, I'm obviously working full time now. And it's like, my weekends are precious. Um, so to leave my wife and say like, all right, I'll be back in 12 hours. It felt a little bit selfish, but I'm, I'm glad I did it. But it's, uh, yeah, that's, it's just a long, it's a long time. You go through so many different emotions and just thoughts yeah. while you're out there. Yeah. Well, that's two hours faster than me during the race. So good job, man. I actually did it in <laughs> 10 and a half hours, but you know, oh, stoppage geez. time and all that. <laughs> that's, so you actually wrote it hard. Yeah, I was I was pushing. Um, it was mostly it was mostly pavement. So that oh, okay. I mean, was probably seventy percent pavement, a little bit of dirt. Some of the roads up far north in Vermont, you know, I wasn't f- too familiar with. So maybe later this summer I will plan a, a DK complete gravel loop because that's one thing with dirty cans. I mean, other than the start and finish, the whole thing's on on dirt roads, and they're not they're not dirt roads like we have here in Vermont that are you know silky it's not smooth. Nice they're dirt. rough. No. No, no, it's super rough. Did you have any dark moments yourself yesterday? The, yeah, there was a moment like around mile 160 that I was could have stayed on the pavement and I knew it was like a little bit of a shortcut. And I, you know, the route I had planned is like there's some hills at the end, some like super steep little punchers. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to go up these. But then I, I did. And there was a couple of times even on that road that I, I told this to Colin as well, that I turned off the um, my planned route and then like quickly put myself back, turned around again to go back onto my route. Cause like, you know, I, I've, I've planned on doing this. I've got to finish it. So I, yeah, yeah, there were some moments and I ran yeah. out of water and you know, my racing mentality is still very much in the sense, I feel like a sense of urgency, you know, it's like, there's a couple of times yeah. where like, oh, I don't need to stop for water here. I'll be fine. I'll get it down the road. 
you know, an hour and a half no, later, I've been out of water. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, definitely stop when, before you think you need to stop, especially at, at those distances, because things can go downhill quickly. Yeah. And it's honestly a cool, I guess I like that DK doesn't have eight stations every 20 miles. Like It's a little bit epic that you're like, I need to drink two bottles, fill everything I have and be careful. You're not just drinking water aimlessly. You're like, okay, I've got three quarters of a bottle left, but I need to get to, you know, there's just, you really have to be smart with your eating and drinking. And I think I also spoke with Colin last year. I remember him just saying how much he was just eating the whole time. And that really was apparent to me at a new level, just how much your body needs in an effort like that. And um, just to go back to my little story of napping in the van, yeah, on the, the second aid station is when the heat really got to me. And I I showed up at my my support guy and I just, I crawled in his van and I just laid there pretty dizzy from the heat. And I remember it was the old, our old friend, Mr. Coca-Cola that saved me. I'm just a cold Coke. And I, it was so cool to like, I got back on my bike and I was really nervous. Like, can I keep riding? Like I was dizzy and just not. And then I drank, I think I drank two Cokes and my body, I felt, actually felt great the last 40 miles. I was riding with some great people and flew in. Yeah, I felt great at the finish line. So nothing I changed last year. Yeah. Well, I think finishing with like a positive, you know, like positive mindset probably makes the whole day seem all the better. Like if you go through a bad section in the middle, but you finish with a positive, you know, outlook, I guess just, you know, once you get close to the finish line and realize you're going to do it, everything becomes, becomes worth it. You know, you've put in all the work and now it's like, Hey, let's, I'm going to complete this thing. Not to mention the perspective that it gives you on your other rides for the rest of the year. Now you've got this major fitness bank that you've built up. And then every ride after that is just once you've done 200 miles, it's like it's it's kind of a milestone. And people, you know, the people that do DKXL, um, I've got tons of respect for it. It just really shows you just how incredible the human body is and ability to endure. Uh, but I think I guess something that's special about DK um, or any sort of ultra endurance event is just when when regular people go out and do that that's impressive people with full-time jobs and families and you know they structure their whole season around this is a big deal for a lot of cyclists and um boy fingers just so crossed that the event can be held in its new date in september yeah if that happens will you be back out there marsh I will be out there. Yeah, I will be. If we're able to ride, I'll be out there riding. Yeah, I'll bring a six mil and I'll be out there riding. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, um, yeah, I hope to see you there. I hope to see you before then. But if not, then um, yeah, I'm sure I'll be trying to trade turns with Colin, but I'll know that if I need to, I can drop back and hang out with my good friend Marshall. Yeah, I'll be. Yeah, no, that's a good plan. If you go ahead and try to win the thing and if if and when something goes wrong, you know, you just hold up and I'll, I'll catch you up in a couple hours. Send your smoke flames. We'll have a little Marshall beacon in the sky. <laughs> Follow the coon. Right on. Yeah. Cool, Marsh. Thanks oh. so much, man. Yeah, man. Great to check. From the middle of the bunch to the first rider in, our next guest, Colin Strickland and a fellow Wahoo Frontiers athlete. Colin, like Marshall, was a first-time participant in Dirty Kansas in 2019, making Colin's victory all the more impressive. If you want to hear from another winner of the Dirty Kansas in 2015, you can go back and hear a recent podcast I did with Yuri Oswald. You can find that at wahoofitness.com. Discover Breakfast with Boz. You'll find it there. 
But now let's hear from the most recent winner of the Dirty Kanza, Colin Strickland. Well, I am joined now by the 2019 Dirty Kanza winner in the male division, Colin Strickland. Colin, thanks for coming on. Hello, everyone. I am curious. There is no Dirty Kanza this weekend, or I guess this past weekend, um, by the time this podcast goes out. Are you missing not being lining up on the start line there in Emporia? Oh, I'm missing it so much. It was it was such an amazing event to participate in last year for the first time, and it's a it's a it's a little sad to have to take a step back. But you know, we're all taking a step back together, so we'll get to take a few steps forward. Do you have any desire aspirations of? There's quite a few different projects going around. Ted King has his DIY gravel. I saw Lawrence Tendam has a dirty canceled. Are you going to participate in any of those? Or are you going to do your own dirty cans? I know you did a huge ride a couple of weeks ago, but are you considering doing something like that? Uh, yeah, I did. A, I did a, I did a long tarmac ride. <laughs> Very different as, as you obviously know, um, a few weeks ago, uh, just to kind of probe the fitness and it was pretty good. Uh, probably about 85% of a 200 mile DK effort or rather a, just completing the course effort. So I had planned to do a, a dirty kinds of simulation this weekend uh, with my teammate, Katie Kansas, a female rider on the, the program we have. But I had an unfortunate tumble and fractured a rib a little less than a week ago. So I'm going to have a go at some amount of gravel riding this weekend, but uh, I can't promise that I will be completing the entire 200-mile uh, dirty Kanza um simulation yeah uh, but my teammate katie will be going for it because she's a hardcore and i will uh be sending out some details via social media on her effort and where she's doing it around austin because our gravel roads are vanishing by the by the year so. yeah that's uh that's awesome to hear it's uh yeah riding 200 miles on gravel with a fractured rib would not be comfortable yeah, it's it it's yeah, it just becomes a matter of ex, of discomfort. I think once once you kind of get the initial healing completed, I have never fractured a rib, but yeah, it's just it's a the deep breathing and engaging the core. Uh, I was actually scheduled to do an Everest challenge with Rebecca Rush, the Giddy Up Challenge this last week. Uh, Payson knocked it out, Rebecca knocked it out, and many many other people. I know this uh, this fellow in LA did it on a fixed gear, which was oh my goodness. bonkers. But anyway, yeah, so I've been a little sidelined and just kind of twiddling the thumbs for the last few days. But, you know, we all go through setbacks. I, I had a broken pelvis nine months before winning Dirty Kanza. Oh, wow. So that's one thing I try to tell myself is that's the hardest part and the most consistent challenge in cycling is the setbacks. You know, when you're in good form and you have race day coming, that's kind of the easy part, especially mentally. The real challenges are when life intervenes or an injury happens and you're you know, just not able to train or compete. That's where, you know, it's really challenging to summon the courage and the positivity. That's where, you know, you can go into dark places and have to push through. Yeah. That mental toughness is, is key. And to let you know, I did my own DIY DK yesterday. Wow. How was that? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it wasn't all gravel. I'll admit it was probably 70% paved roads up here. Um, we've had some nice weather. So I went out and figured before I spoke to you and Amity and Marshall, I should actually know what it feels like to ride 200 miles. Um, yeah. And it's brutal. And like you said, you know, kind of those dark places, there were a couple of times when I'd, you know, I'd mapped out my loop and had it all loaded. And there were a couple of times when I was like, oh, I know there's a shortcut here. And like, I actually went down that road for like, 
I don't know, maybe a couple hundred feet. And I was like, you know what? That's like cheating. So I went back and, you know, went back to the, the plan <laughs> route. But um, we will find, we would find out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I did. We I would analyze. That, I did post that it. Data. Um, but I, before going out, I went back and looked at your 2019 DK time and you did it. You averaged over 20 miles an hour, which is insane. I mean, that's, I, you know, I understand you have a Peloton, but that's all dirt roads, rough, you know, you know, the Flintstone. I mean, how hard was that? And how thrashed are you after doing 200 miles on that surface? I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to recall back to that day. Um, it was one of those, I was on a hell of a day, you know how that goes. It started out, I did not feel good uh, for the first 75 miles. I remember that distinctly and was just felt on the back foot and just had that feeling of, man, I hope no, I hope this race doesn't get heated anytime soon. Uh, and then, you know, mile 25, we hit the first nasty, rutted, muddy single track. I think Finney and the other EF guys just gunned it and I was completely oblivious out of position. Yeah. So, and, you know, barely survived those early spicy attacks. Uh, anyway, it was just not my day until about mile 75 or 80, I had a puncture and had to do a big 20 minute effort solo to chase back on. It was funny. I remember distinctly, I punctured about 30 seconds after Pete Stetna dropped one of his large bottles. It was soon after the first checkpoint. So Pete stopped I remember he dropped out of our group, our lead group of 25 and doubled back to pick up his bottle, which was probably a clutch move Yeah. Um, at that point in the race, a giant, you know, ice cold 24, 24 ounce bottle. Uh, but about 20 seconds later, I punctured. So I'm dealing with my flat and Pete comes flying by me, which is kind of encouraging. I'm like, yeah, well, okay, it definitely can be done. Let's just, you know, get this get this sorted and then just deal with the chase. Uh, but that's, it was actually that big chase effort that kind of woke the legs up. And from there, you know, it's just some, some days your body is, is ready for the challenge. It was one of those days where I could just, I just felt like I could, I just kept going fast. You know, I don't, I wasn't looking at a, at much data other than just the map and being sure that I didn't miss a turn and just that feeling of speed, you know, it's, there's a, you know, the fastest to average speed is what tends to win a race. Yeah. And I uh, noticed that yesterday, I probably the first hundred miles rode too quickly. And then the last hundred miles definitely slowed down because I just never ridden that long. It's hard to judge and pace yourself. But I guess when you have a Peloton, you can kind of sense how everyone else is feeling just based off of the pace in the group, right? Yeah, certainly. I mean, that was the, that was the, I was in a group for the first 90 miles, which was that was very important, of course, for any long distance race. You want to keep the powder dry as long as you can or can stand or no matter what, you always end up with more matches at the end if you can, you know, contain, <laughs> retain the, the pack advantage as long as possible. Well, and one thing I noticed yesterday is because I started early in the morning, I took quite a few nature breaks in the first, I don't know, two hours. I think, you know, I made sure I was hydrated before I left. Is that a disadvantage to be, you know, you have to hydrate, but like, how does that work in the Peloton if there's still, you know, 200 people in the front group and you have to stop every, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes for a, for a quick pee off the bike? Is that going to be something that you have to think about? Oh, absolutely. I mean, those are kind of the, the plan, uh, the planning of all of those details is what can make or break your day. And it's not, that's not the reason why we do, why we, we race bikes, but it's when you get to, into these ultra distances, you definitely have to factor that stuff in. And I mean, it's so much easier for men than, than for the female riders. It's just a whole added challenge of female riders just don't, you know, 
can't pee off the bike like we can, which is a huge advantage. I definitely did that right as, as we were rolling. Like as soon as we left town, I kind of dropped back and, and uh, <laughs> peed off the bike. Uh, I think I did it one more time. But then, you know, once you get kind of start sweating, your body, I, you know, you don't have to pee anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Because you kind of start. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, relieve, you release your, the fluids via sweat. So, yeah, in, you know, in the warmer months, that's kind of, you reach that kind of equilibrium sooner. So, but until you do, yeah, you have to be, you have to be on your toes and take the opportunity to, you know, use the, use the gradual descent and uh, position yourself. And then, yeah, if you're, if you can pee off the bike, I mean, again, it's a, especially in a, a mass start event, it's a huge disadvantage for women to not, not have that, that option. Yeah. Well, that was something else that I noticed yesterday was I took a long stop at the end. I met my wife for an ice cream, actually, which they probably don't have ice cream stops at DK. But you know, this was 20 miles to go, and I felt terrible after that. I sat there for maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes, and we just enjoyed an ice cream. But that's one thing I, as an inexperienced writer at DK, one of my tips of advice would be to not stop for too long. It sounds like you, I mean, instinctively you want to stop and rest, but once you stop, it's hard to get going again. And you just, your body definitely seizes up later in the race. Would you kind of share that same advice to people? Yeah, I, uh, the body, you know, it's, it's in survival mode. You know, when you start do, doing extreme efforts of any kind, your body kind of starts thinking about its own self-preservation. So it's trying to tell you to stop. So it's my, it's, it's literally mind over matter. So you have to have your, mentally, you have to kind of trick your body into going into the deep into the red. Like people do much more intense efforts, but uh, you know the body has a has a pretty low limiter. Bef- it, before it starts screaming at you, you know, before long before you're you're in any kind of danger. So yeah, definitely don't don't let the body get the sense that it's reached safety too early. Stay yeah, stay maybe moving. Um, our our checkpoints. I I just I had the kind of full of adrenaline from a just you know the rabbit the rabbit um mentality. Um, uh, so I I had I think I had. I had really quick um, pit stops. I had a pretty, uh, I hadn't rehearsed anything, but just as it turned out, I was able to, to get in and out of the pits. I think the fastest of any of the groups with the least support. <laughs> so keep it, kept it simple and just got in and got out. Noah definitely didn't take any um, extra luxuries. No ice creams for me <laughs> back at Dirty Cons of 2019. No. Well, you know, you probably had a bunch of adrenaline from winning the race when you crossed the finish line, but how long did it take you to like, once, you know, once things calmed down and, you know, you got back to your hotel and, you know, whether you, you know, flew back or drove back to Austin, how long did it take you to recover and actually feel fine again on the bike? Cause that's a huge effort. I mean, that's, you know, the amount of intensity you're going to experience in, you know, 10 hours racing as hard as you can. I mean, that takes a lot out of you. How long did it take for you to kind of get back to feeling normal again? I I really wasn't too devastated by the effort. I do think I I have a natural kind of inclination, proclivity towards these kind of efforts because I really wasn't too set back. I did definitely didn't feel any you know of the the ma- massive DK hangovers I've heard of, and I think those are usually that's not so much the energy expenditure which we are all trained to deal with. Well, you know, people you know putting the hours in like myself are trained to deal with. I think that would be more of a a heat exhaustion effect which can leave a much deeper mark. You know, the other day I did a 185 mile ride, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty hard clip. And again, I, the next day I just wasn't very phased, but we, you know, we adequately hydrated throughout the ride and we adequately ate and it wasn't too hot yet. So I, I, yeah, I would say, I think that heat 
exhaustion can be far more devastating than just a big effort. So yeah, I really didn't feel it that bad last year, but I was very acclimated to the heat. And I think it, it, that's a huge factor in um, how your body reacts, especially after the fact and how it recovers to the after the effort. Yeah, well, that's one thing I've kind of just been tuned on to is that the fact that if, if DK goes ahead and it's September date, that the weather could be far different than it would be in June. It could be you know, definitely drier and potentially not as hot as it was last year. Yeah, someone someone had mentioned the almanac uh, for Can for Emporia, Kansas, on September 9th is typically a high of ninety degrees. So, oh, wow, <laughs> it <Okay>. certainly <laughs> could, be, could be cooler. But here in the here in the South, Mid South, Midwest, it's uh you know the the summer extends far into September. At least in Texas, it's still well over a hundred in September. Um, so yeah, that's it's going to be a, more of a crapshoot, less less predictable, uh, but predictably hot but i think that would be it certainly would be a chance well being from austin i'm sure you're you'll be well equipped for for a 90 degree day at, at dk you know some people like we all we all like the the environmental stressors that give us a bit of an edge you know and i i i like the heat definitely well how do you think dk changed you as a rider but also your perspective of of racing these long events and obviously you know you went from you know as on the trainer the other day watching uh, you race some red hook crits, which is insane. But now, you know, being the winner of DK, I mean, this is a huge kind of turning point in your life. How, I mean, what's been the biggest thing that's changed over the last 12 months now? Let's see the largest, like, the biggest single thing that has changed in my life. A big factor has been a desire to kind of get myself to use this, this, uh, you know, the bicycle and training as a, as a means to kind of explore the world and use it as a, a way to travel and meet people and kind of let let the landscapes inspire me so i've been working on ways to manifest that so i can do you know more miles because of course longer distance you race the more more distance you train uh so that's been a big a big push is uh get myself a uh you know a little tra transplanted for this phase of life you know i've been in austin uh for nine years now training and it's it's good riding here but you as you know you know any any especially a city it, it's a little limiting to be not to mention the exposure that you have to you know risk of traffic and stuff but yeah that's that's one change I could, i'm sure i could think of another yeah well it's crazy when you map out a 200 mile loop you know i have explored a lot of the roads close to my home, but then I mapped out 200 miles and I was like, wow, like there's like, I covered off like, you know, a pretty good portion of the state of, you know, Northeastern Vermont in a 200 mile ride. It's, it's crazy how far you can go on a bike in a day. Yeah. Did you, did you do two familiar, uh, two familiar centuries or did you do a, an all new mega loop that you would otherwise never get to complete? Yeah. All new mega loop. It was, um, it was cool. I mean, I saw towns I'd never been to, been to places I had never been, which was, you know, exciting. But then you're also wondering like, ooh, do these roads all connect that I have mapped out because I've never been here before. And there's a lot of roads up here that are on a map, but don't actually exist in real life or they're, you know, a path through a, a cornfield or something. Consult the trusty Wahoo. Yes. Trust your Wahoo. Yes. I did not get lost. I almost took myself, like I said, on a short detour off course, but I, uh, I stayed to my, stayed to my initial plan. Awesome. Cool, Colin. Well, I will let you get back to your day. I hope that your rib heals up soon and that we get a race together or ride together in September out in Emporia. Absolutely. Yes. I hope to see as many of the listeners there as possible. Cool. Thanks, Colin. Adios, Ian. Last, but certainly not least, the 2020 winner of the women's race at the DK 200, Amity Rockwell. 
Amity Rockwell. This is your third time on the podcast. I think you've been, yeah, you've been on like 30% of all the shows that have been produced. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm quite the veteran at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are talking about Dirty Kanza on this episode, and we've spoken about it a bit before. It's obviously not taking place on the scheduled date nope. this year. How much do you miss not being in Emporia right now? I miss it so much. I think, I don't know, I like the general vibe I pick up from everybody surrounding that race is that, you know, they love the community, they love the vibe, but the actual race itself is like something people dread and something people like talk down about and like, you know, complain, like, you know, go to links to like, be like, oh, I have to do this. Like, wow, what a struggle. But like, you know, at least I get like everything else that comes with it. And for me, I mean, you know me, I miss, you know, riding those 200 miles as much as anything. I think it became like super clear to me that like that, that, that was going to be one of my favorite races, whether or not I was good at it. Um, when I did it the first year and had a horrible time and everything went wrong and I still finished and I was like, that was amazing. Like, let me do this again. Um, so I miss, I miss everything. Um, the people, but also, you know, riding those 200 miles. They're great. They're a really, really good 200 miles. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I mean, I've never been there. I've just spoken to people about the event and I was looking forward to it um, in Ju at the original June date. But what is it about DK that is so special? Because Gosh. I feel like if you were to organize a 200 mile event in, you know, in Santa Barbara or in, you know, anywhere right. else, it I wouldn't, wouldn't have, have that same. Well, yeah, but I also like wouldn't have to explain it because people would be like, well, obviously it's nice there. Like, you know, you like ride on yeah. cliffs above the ocean and like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like self-explanatory. It's like a very like in your face kind of beauty out here, which is awesome. I mean, <laughs> easy to motivate me on days when I don't feel like getting out necessarily. Um, Kansas is more of this like strange, like quiet beauty. I like, I honestly went in with pretty low expectations having done other Midwest gravel races, not naming names that were kind of, you know, 200 miles of exactly the same terrain or not 200 miles, but like a long ways on kind of like the same roads and the same views and not a lot of like, you know, elevation variation or landscape variation or anything. Um, and I think that's where Kansas really blew me away because like it's, I guess it's the distance helps, but, um, in those, in that whole race, I mean, you don't really repeat anything and you see so much, like there is really beautiful variation in everything. And the first year I did it, it kind of went West and then South and did this big counterclockwise loop, um, to the South. Um, and then the last year they tend to repeat courses like two years in a row and then change it up. So last year we actually went North first and then West. So it was kind of this like big loop to the northwest of Emporia. And even just the two of those were so different. And it kind of keeps you on your toes. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's definitely like way, way different than the kind of beauty I'm used to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was nothing short of exciting. Um, that's like, and that sounds really weird to say, because everybody else is like 200 miles of gravel sounds like kind of dull to a point. Um, but I don't remember, it, you know, any time out there when I was necessarily like bored or like, you know, in need of stimulation. Yeah, well, that is interesting that you say, you know, I grew up on the West Coast, you know, if someone tried to sell me on a 200 mile ride in, in Santa Barbara or Santa Cruz or something, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, like we wouldn't but really But just need having to never really it. spent any time in the <laughs> Midwest. Yeah. I, yeah, but I it is think, amazing what they've what they've created. Yeah, I think anybody doing it for the first time has reason to be very excited about that aspect of it, um, about all aspects. But, you know, I just, I, it bothers me when people like, you know, downplay how nice it actually is. 
<laughs> and it's unexpected, which makes yeah. it, you know, all the more nicer, I guess. Well, if DK just happened to be tomorrow, let's say we just could flip a switch and everyone said, all right, you're just, you jump on a plane and you're at Emporia tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Would you be ready for it? Could you do, could you repeat your win if the race was tomorrow? <laughs> That's hard to say. Um, I haven't been the most consistent out here just because, you know, I haven't felt the need to put myself under that kind of pressure. Um, and I'm kind of in, you know, back in off season mode where it's like, okay, like ride if I feel like it. And most days I feel like it. And like some days I even feel like you know, doing stupid things, um, and like, you know, riding too far and, you know, getting into things. And other days I'm like, why well, I'm tired. I'm not going to do anything today. Um, and I kind of like afford myself that leniency because it, you know, it keeps me excited about riding when I do want to ride. And then, you know, when we're racing, I kind of put in a more concerted effort to at least be more consistent. And I haven't been doing that. Um, that being said, I have had really good races kind of fully in this mode or like the first race of the season where I'm not, you know, necessarily super dialed. Um, and then like, you know, last year I didn't exactly show up being like, yeah, I'm going to win this thing. So I think kind of the mentality I take is that nobody is ever really ready. It's impossible to be ready for that just because you don't really know what it has in store for you. So, I mean, I'd be like a little bit scared. I'd for sure be nervous. I mean, I'm always nervous, even if I'm doing the most, but I would love that to happen. I'd be uh, curious for sure. I think, I think the odds are pretty low, but I mean, they're not non-existent. (laughs) Well, maybe everyone's in the same boat, you know, maybe everyone's, you know, having not trained as specifically for an event, so we'd all kind of show up. on a level so playing field. It's hard to tell because, I mean, on social media, people love to be like, oh, I'm training so much. I'm like doing all this. Look at these things I'm doing. Like, and I've tried to not do that because honestly, like looking at that stuff just stresses me out mostly because um, that's not what I'm doing. Um, and I, I, I certainly have other like close friends I've talked to who are very much doing the same thing. I just had a really good conversation with um, Amy Charity, not to rat her out, but like <laughs> we had a really good conversation after um, SBT was canceled. And I was like, I don't know how people are like ever seen right now and like doing all this stuff and making a show of like, you know, going all in on training and like, you know, all this nonsense. I'm like, that's just not how I operate. Um, and she's like, oh God, I'm so glad you said that. Like me neither. She's like, some days I ride, some days I don't do anything. And I was like, yeah, same. Um, so it was really cool to like, kind of like find that, you know, solidarity in somebody when, um, you know, a lot of other people are trying to still seem like very responsible athletes during this time. And I was like, well, I'm human. <laughs> I was stressed out and uncertain and all these things too. So um, no, the good days are good and the bad days, you know, make me more excited for the good days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of bought into what Ted King was doing with his DIY mm-hmm. gravels. And I also figured before I spoke to yourself and, and Colin and the other people on this episode, yeah. I figured I needed to actually experience what 200 miles was oh like. God, so I went out and it. did a 200 mile ride oh my gosh. and it was mostly pavement, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I got to this point at the end where I was like, I want to share this and like put it on social media. But I, I mean, I posted it to Strava because it, you know, went automatically right, from right, my right. from my bolt yeah. or my uh, my roam up to to uh, Strava. But I was like, I really did this for me mm-hmm. because I wanted to feel what it was like to ride two hundred miles. Awesome. And wow, two hundred miles is a long way. <laughs> <What's> <laughs> it the, took a lot. I mean, see, like that surprises uh, me that you'd say that because I'm like, well, here's this world tour guy. Like for sure, he's ridden those like crazy back to back like you know, stages of things where it's like 180K, 170K. Like, had you ever, you'd never ridden that far before? 
Oh, not, not even close. <laughs> I mean, I think the longest ever training ride, I think once I was up in, in Tenerife, uh, it's like an island yeah. on the Canaries, I mean, at a training camp. I think we did one seven-hour ride. And that oh was my like, gosh. that was long. I mean, that was like, you know, we had like a couple of coffee so stops cute. and it was just a long day. <laughs> it's very um, different, huh? But yeah, 10, yeah, I mean, 200 miles. And I was, I was by myself. That's right. And rough. it's just, it's just something it's completely different. Although you know, I, I, I enjoy it. Um, Dirty Kanza, you start with, you know, 3000 people. I guarantee that at some point during that race, like you will be alone and you will have to deal with that. So that's, pre- that's probably really good. You did. <laughs> yeah. When it's, it was very much like an exploration of myself and my oh, mind yeah. of like, you know, can I do this? And <laughs> will I complete this? You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that, is really unique to push yourself that far. And I was more nervous about, you know, going on this, you know, I don't want to say a training ride, but this adventure ride by myself mm-hmm. than I was, you know, starting a big race because I just never, I'd never done it before. And it's one of those things, like you said, you can't really, you can prepare for yeah. it, but you can't really, you're not going to go out and do a bunch of 200 mile rides to practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some crazy people who do, but um, <laughs> no, I did a bunch of like a hundred and like 60, 170 mile fish leading up to last year's. Um, kind of like once a month would make sure I kind of like push that edge for myself, but yeah, no, never 200. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, I'm still, I'm on the fence. I guess by the time this comes out, I will have either done it or not done it. But at this point I'm on the fence about, you know, whether or not I want to ride 200 miles on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. If you were going to, if you were going to go out there and do it. So, yeah. So yeah. Ted King has his DIY gravel thing and I'm great friends with Ted and Laura. And I've been kind of like eyeing those from afar being like, this is a really cool thing, but also no, I'm not going to do it. I don't know why I've been like a little bit resistant and I think it's just, I don't know. It might be like some sort of weird denial popping up about this whole thing or about like, just like doing that. I'm like, is that going to make me more sad that I'm not actually doing these? But so Ted King is like doing the DIY gravel. And then um, Lawrence Tendam has a bunch of people. He's calling it Dirty Cancelled. <laughs> um, yeah, great name. Yeah, excellent name. Yeah. But um, he's kind of pushing that like on his side of the pond and has been asking me to participate as well. And I don't know if I can say no to him. He's a pretty good friend of mine from when we um, both lived in Santa Cruz. And we were trained together. And this was like very uh, <laughs> amateur amity um, back then. But he was super nice to me. And we would go on you know, these weird rides up the coast and stuff. And so when he asked me to do something, I kind of feel obligated to do it. So I might, I'm trying to, you know, get myself into that headspace and see if it's possible. But I am, I am kind of, I think at that point where it would be really good for me. Yeah. When, you know, if you go out and do it by yourself, there is no there is no pressure. You can take a couple stops and, you know, take your time. Just make sure you leave early <laughs> enough because that's one thing I was worried yeah. about is like, if I don't leave by 6 a.m., I might I not know. get back before it's yeah, dark. Yeah, because it's just this great unknown, but that's part of what's so cool about it. Well, did winning Dirty Cans, I mean, obviously it changed your your profile in the cycling community, but yes. it, did it change at all your perspective of, of riding and what you're capable of and just essentially what the human body is capable of, you know, riding, like I said, 200 miles and now the fact that you're considering potentially just going out and doing a casual <laughs> 200 miles. I mean, that's a huge distance. Did it change your perspective of what you're capable of? No. Um, <laughs> short answer, no. I, 
Dirty cancer is hard. Don't get me wrong. It's really hard. And it's really this like mental battle when you're kind of, you know, fighting for the same thing as so many other people um, over such a distance. But I've done harder rides than that. I've done harder races. And I've kind of, you know, pushed myself. I don't want to say farther than I pushed myself at Kansas. Because, you know, once you're in those like last 30 miles, and you have like any chance, it's like, you know, it's like all out, like, you know, gutting yourself more than you've gutted yourself. But um, I've I think I've kind of put myself in that position already a few times. And so it was kind of just like more of a confirmation of what I think like deep down, like I knew I was capable of. And I think that was more important than anything, just like doing away with like whatever little doubt I had remaining that like kind of I belonged up there and I could do those things. But yeah, it was more of like a confirmation rather than this like big, you know, revelation or anything. And so it was just like a little bit more of a confidence boost, a little bit more of like, you know, a sense of belonging. And then like, you know, it did change my reality and that I was like, well, I can, you know, do this and only this for, you know, as long as I can sustain it. Um, whereas before it was like a little bit of a pipe dream and that I was like, well, I'm, yes, I'm doing this, but I'm probably always going to be doing something else too. So, yeah, well, I mean, you very much are in that position now and you are, you know, the reigning DK champion. Mm -hmm. And I went for a ride today with my neighbor. I have a neighbor, Francesca. She's 17 years old. She got oh. into cycling. She had an injury running. Sounds like me. Um, but we did. We did. <laughs> Yeah, well, so I mean, I mean, you may not realize this, but you are a huge inspiration for her. You know, so to yourself, sweet. you're you're Amity. You know, you're you're just you. But to her, I I we rode this morning. We did two hours. She has come a long way since I've been helping her with some training for the last couple months. And I, you know, at the end of the ride, I was like, "Hey, I'm speaking to Amity later. Do you have any questions?" Oh for my her? gosh! So I have a question oh, so for sweet. you from my neighbor Francesca. Okay. And one of you know, she we were on the ride. We were talking about you know what. You know, she's 17, which is, you know, surprisingly for female cycling, you know, there's not many riders her I age certainly was not trying to race on a bike gravel. at that time. <laughs> I was still running. Yeah. Yeah. So her question is like when you were kind of first getting into cycling. Yes. You know, what sort of support network and, you know, did you have mentors or other female athletes that or male athletes that you looked up to that kind of helped you along the way? And what was like the most important kind of information and support that you received when you were first getting into it? Oh, wow. It. Um, that is a big question. I will say when I was just first kind of playing with the idea, like not even in a space of like, I'm going to be a cyclist, I'm going to do bike races. I was still in college and I was running for my college, but, you know, dealing with nagging injuries, kind of like getting a little burnt out, you know, having some questions like, why am I doing this if it like continues to destroy me? Not that bike racing isn't going to, you know, lead you to those questions at some point, but um I was having those questions with running and that's when I started just, you know, naturally to turn to the bike more. And almost immediately, I guess I just, I found people and was really lucky to do so. Um, you kind of hear mixed things about, you know, bike culture and like, you know, how nice people are versus like how clicky people are. Um, and that's kind of been like an interesting dynamic to me coming from running where like everybody who runs is your friend <laughs> immediately. And there's no like, you know, ego imbalance or any of that. But I was very, very lucky to um, kind of find a few like college friends who were also very into it, who helped a lot. And then to move back home to the Bay Area um, where there's an obvious community for it. I just kind of, I guess I took the leap and I started showing up to smaller group rides, um, whether it was ones that were just locally organized or um, locally in Sausalito, we had in Gamba. And I remember one of the first, first group rides I ever went on was when Ted King launched his untapped maple line and they like hosted him and they're like, we're going to do a ride around Hawk Hill. And I was like, oh gosh, I want to meet Ted King. That's so cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I showed up and I was like, <laughs> so, so scared. And I was like, what am I doing here? But everybody was really nice. And I was so glad I did. Um, granted, like not all, you know, of my experiences kind of in that realm have been, you know, positive. You definitely show up to group rides sometimes and feel like the odd one out or you're, you know, the only female or like, you know, somebody makes some comment or like you get dropped like in the first 10 miles, like I've been there and that's all happened to me. Um, but I think as long as you kind of let it like feel this little fire in you of just like wanting to be better or just wanting to find that space in cycling that's right for you. I think that's also kind of where we're so lucky is that there's so much variety just within cycling itself. So where, you know, if something doesn't fit right, you can go try on the next thing. <laughs> and I hope that, you know, gravel, you know, provides that like, you know, space for a lot of people because I do you know, as many, you know, issues as it has and as many like growing pains as, you know, we see it like run into, I do like to think it is kind of the most inclusive in that. I don't know. I, I truly believe it's for everybody. So, I mean, it did, I guess, you know, to come back to that question, which I've, you know, rambled off of, um, it, it required us sort of like swallowing my pride and just showing up and, you know, letting whatever happened happened and kind of letting that be like, you know, I guess a little like check in for like where I was and what I liked about it. And, you know, you meet people, it does, it takes a certain amount of like, at least for me, I'm like not that extroverted. Um, I had to, you know, be a little brave about it, but yeah, I think, you know, it does require putting yourself out there a little bit. And that was ultimately just, you know, really healthy for me. Yeah. Well, and that's what I, that's what I advised her. I was like, listen, you have an awesome, you know, you're going to be a senior in high school next year. Like if you could set a goal of going to Dirty Kansas as an 18 year old, yeah. like female rider, that would be awesome. And I think there'd be plenty of people to get behind you and support you and to make sure that, you know, you can make this dream happen. And then, you know, like you said, you were, you know, inspired and, you know, extremely motivated to meet Ted King, you know, Francesca, my neighbor, is excited to meet you. <laughs> you know, maybe in five years' time, someone's me excited know, to meet Francesca. Me know you know, I just pass it her, on. Yeah, if I could send her a jersey or anything, I would love to. <laughs> oh, she would. She would love that. She's. Uh, I've given her some old Katusha kit that I see her oh riding my around. Gosh. In, so she would. <laughs> no, she would be over the I, moon. So I got her. Let's we can that coordinate up. that. <laughs> Sweet. Well, well Amity, I will let you enjoy the rest of your morning there in Santa Barbara. Thanks for coming on again. And I'm sure before too long, we'll keep up with the um, 30% strike rate of, of keeping you on the show. <laughs> I hope to. It's always a joy. And I'm so proud of you doing 200 miles. That's um, not easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck. Good luck if you get Alrighty. to it. I'll see you soon, I hope. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Amity. Yeah, bye-bye. Well, there we have it. Another episode of Breakfast with Boz Detours being served by Wahoo, the DK200. Are any of you going to get out there this weekend and do your own Dirty Kanza? If you do, good luck. I hope you picked up some tips from our guests on the show today. Most importantly, stay safe, stay happy, enjoy the ride. And in closing, I would like to send you all a reminder that the new Rome Free video that Wahoo just launched last week is now available on YouTube. Check it out if you need a little bit more inspiration for a reason to get out and ride, see something beautiful, bikepacking, road biking, mountain biking, cyclocross, a spin around the block. A bike makes it possible. I'll catch you all right here next week on Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo.